off Genesis chapter 50 in our Bibles. This morning, we were going through, as we've been doing, the book of Mark together. And we looked at, uh, I think, an important aspect of uh, Jesus' reasoning to uh, his healing and his authority to forgive sins. You remember when Jesus healed the man in Mark chapter 2 that was paralyzed and it was, a man was let down through the roof uh, to, uh, to see Jesus. Jesus immediately pronounced to him, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And what was the response of the Pharisees, of the scribes that were there? They said, this is blasphemy. Why? Because who can forgive sins but who? But God. In other words, their theology was right. And we looked at that this morning. They knew that only God could forgive sins. No one else can forgive sins. He has sole authority to forgive, to dismiss, to send away your sin and mine. But they missed that Jesus was God. That he had authority, and that's exactly what he showed them in Mark chapter 2. He said, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the the paralyzed man, get up, take your bed, and go home. And when he did, it was clear. He had authority not only to forgive sins, or not only to heal one's body, but also to heal one's souls. And tonight I want to look at the converse of God's authority to forgive sin. Tonight we are going to look at the converse of that, which is God's authority to punish sin, to take revenge against sin. If God is the only one who has the power to forgive sin, he also is the only one who has the power to punish sin to take revenge against sin. And if that is the case, that means something really truly significant about how you and I deal with the biblical concept called forgiveness. What I want to see tonight in the story of Joseph, a man who is the perhaps, other than Jesus himself, the prime, the prime example of biblical forgiveness in the way he related to his brothers who had caused him such evil, caused him such pain, caused him such difficulty, we will see something about the way you and I are called to forgive those who are dearest to us when they cause us pain, when they create wounds for us and it arises in these words of Joseph in Genesis chapter 50 when his brothers come to him and they fall on their faces after their father has died saying we are thy servants and Joseph says in verse 19 fear not for am I in the place of God my premise to you is simply this when you learn to live your life saying to those who harm you, am I in the place of God? You will learn to forgive like God wants you to forgive. The title of the message tonight is Forgiveness and the Sovereignty of God. Forgiveness and the Sovereignty of God. 
Now, what is the story of Joseph? I look out over our congregation here tonight, and I suspect that nearly all of you are familiar with the story of Joseph. But just in case anyone is not, let's just take a very high-level trip through that story. It starts in Genesis 37 and goes all the way through Genesis chapter 50. It's easy to forget that the story of Joseph and his family in the intervening years after Joseph has been enslaved take up almost a third of the entire book of Genesis. This is one of the primary narratives in the very first book of our Bible. Joseph is one of the sons of Jacob, the patriarch Israel, one, the grandson of Abraham. And of his 12 sons, Joseph is the second youngest. He is the favored son because he is the son of Jacob's favored wife. And so um, Joseph is something of a confident young man. I would say probably something of a cocky young man, to be perfectly candid. In Genesis chapter 37, we hear that Joseph has a dream. And this dream is that all of his brothers and his father and mother will come and bow down to him. And Joseph says, at at the ripe old age of 17, he says, I've got a great idea. I'm going to go down to the breakfast table and tell all my brothers they're going to love this. Maybe a little bit cocky and certainly not very bright. Certainly not very wise or discerning. He goes down to brothers where there's already a family conflict. Says, hey, you're going to be bowing down to me one day. And even his dad, who loves him, says, whoa there, son. Whoa there. Well, this causes his brothers to be so angry with him. The Bible says they cannot even speak to him. You want to talk about a cold war? You know about about, about husbands and wives that get in periods where they're not on speaking terms. I hope that never happens in, our, in this congregation. Family members that are just have an ice wall between them. They can't even speak to each other. There was such anger, such hostility, that there was this inability to communicate. And then scripture says, tells us that in Genesis chapter 37, Joseph goes to, to, um, to where the brothers are feeding and tending their sheep. They capture him, they send him, they sell him to be slaves to Midianite uh, uh, slave traders, and he is taken into Egypt. He is taken um, into slavery, into a man named Potiphar's house, and he is rising the ranks in Potiphar's house, a a period of, of influence and importance. The wife of Potiphar falsely accuses him of rape. He is, he is taken into the prison. He is in prison for years. He interprets the dreams of two of Pharaoh's servants. He tells the one who's going to be free, remember me, talk to Pharaoh about my unjust imprisonment. And he forgets. And then finally, at 30 years old, 13 years after this events of his slavery have occurred, 13 long years, he is elevated when he interprets Pharaoh's dream. And he is elevated to the second position in the land of Egypt. He has the chance after seven years of plenty in which he leads the land of Egypt, two years of famine, his brothers come to him. 
Well, think, it has now been how long? 22 years. He is now 39 years old. 22 years later, his brothers come. They, of course, do not recognize him. It would be the far furthest thing from their minds that Joseph would be in authority in the land of Egypt. And ultimately, Joseph reveals himself to them. There is reconciliation between them. And then Joseph invites the entire family to come with him and dwell with him in Egypt and save them alive. Of course, that is a very high-level summary, but now we come here to Genesis chapter 50. And what has happened here is that Jacob, the patriarch, has died. Now, a sad thing about families is that, unfortunately, sometimes when the father or the mother or the real kind of central anchor of the family dies, you can have real chaos and disunity prevail in a house because the gravity, the magnet, the one that was holding them all together has has passed. And now these brothers are very concerned. Will you look with me at verse 15? They have just buried Jacob. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly require us all the evil which we did unto him. Now, they don't know Joseph's character as well as they should have, but they certainly are concerned. Now, notice verse 16. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil, and now we pray thee, forgive the trespasses of, trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. Now, let me ask you something. Do you think this actually happened? Do you think jo- Jacob actually said that? We don't know one way or the other. Some have speculated they just made this up. And it is a little bit of a weak way to seek forgiveness, isn't it? Notice they said, your dad, dear old dad who just died, gave a dying wish that you forgive the iniquity of your brothers. Notice they're not the ones asking for forgiveness. They're saying, in a sense, dad wants you to forgive your brother's sin. Now, of course, this very well could have been Jacob's dying wish. We don't know one way or the other. But they sent a messenger. They sent a messenger to communicate. So there's a a little bit of distance here, but they are at least acknowledging, even if indirectly, their sin, and they are looking for some assurance. Notice what Joseph's response is. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. Imagine the messengers coming and having this, this very real fear that Joseph is going to really treat them harshly, and, their, and his response is so tender-hearted to them that he begins weeping. That tells you something about his character, which we're going to get to in just a minute. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants, we're your slaves And Joseph said unto them, fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. You have a situation here where you have one of the most significant evils that was done to any human being other than Jesus Christ in what was done to Joseph by those who were closest to him. And you have an example of forgiveness and not only forgiveness, but warmth 
of fellowship and friendship, not only that, of provision and care that's provided that we see in our Bibles. And I want to suggest to you that if you and I want to live out this model that Joseph has, it's going to start, first of all, with being convinced of the place of God. Convinced of the place of God and, by extension, what our place is. Notice what he says. Fear not, for am I in the place of God? What is he saying there? Well, what are his brothers afraid of? They are afraid of him taking revenge. They are afraid of him coming back and paying them back for the wickedness that they did to him in selling him as their younger brother into slavery with no concern about the consequences. Absolutely destroying his life. Again, from a 17-year-old's perspective. And they are concerned about payback. And notice what Joseph's saying. Am I in the place of God? Here's what he's saying. What is God's authority? God is in the payback place. I'm not. That's what he's saying. Very, very just straightforwardly. And isn't this a New Testament idea as well? Romans chapter 12. Do you remember Romans chapter 12, verse 19? Dearly beloved, Paul says, avenge not yourselves. Do not take revenge but rather give place under wrath. You see that idea? Give place. Give place to whose wrath? My wrath? No, God's wrath. That's the idea. Give place. Remember what Joseph said. Am I in God's place? I'm giving place. And now Paul says, give place to wrath. Why? For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Vengeance is mine, I will, I will repay. Vengeance, punishment, is God's place. Now we do want to be clear about one thing. God has delegated his punishment to one entity. What entity is that? Does anyone know? The state, the government. Romans 13 says that let every soul be subject to the higher power. And it says that God has given the government a sword to punish evildoers, to execute his wrath on them that do wrong. God has given his sword of vengeance, his sword of justice in a temporal sense to the government. And when they act according to that sword that God has given them, we are to acknowledge it and submit to it. But notice that outside of that, the Christian's response is vengeance is God's. You know, even in a sense, this is true of parents. It's my view that parents are not to punish children. Parents discipline children. You say, what is the difference? Discipline for children is not punishment. Discipline is not, you did this, that requires vengeance of three swats. Discipline says, you did this, and I have to, to discipline you so you don't do it again. It looks forward to change behavior, not backward, in a sense, to punish behavior. Why? Because that's the same way that God deals with you. Scripture says that God chastens you 
so that you will become partakers of his holiness. God chastens you looking forward to teach you, don't do that again. Don't do that again. Even we as parents, in a sense, are given to discipline, not to revenge. Vengeance is God's. Payback is God's. Now, what does this mean if payback is God's? Well, it goes squarely against what my tendency is and my very natural tendency, which is to avenge. Now, there's something in all of us that is a very real priority for justice. Do you know kids have this from almost the moment they have any sense of the world around them? You don't need to teach a child to pursue fairness. I'll tell you, I hear uh, calls and appeals to fairness all the time at my house right now. Dad, that's not fair. But dad, she got that. What are they saying? There should be justice in this world. There should be even scales. We all react to that. Others seek vengeance out of a kind of, of even purported spirituality. Do you remember in, in the New Testament when James and John are with Jesus and he sets his face to go to Jerusalem when he's going through Samaria and so the Samaritans don't accept him and they just kind of shuttle him down. They don't receive him. What did James and John say? Hey God, hey, should wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and destroy them just like Elijah did? God, we can take vengeance And Jesus rebukes them and says, you don't know what spirit you're of. You don't know even the type of person that we are intended to be. Even David in the Old Testament, a man after God's own heart, gave in to this spirit of revenge. Do you remember Nabal, the story of Nabal, a man who treated David and his servants despicably despite the good that they had done to him and sends them away. Does, it doesn't act generously to them. And what does David say? Saddle up, boys. Let's go. And Abigail, Nabal's wife, hears of this and goes to intercept David and stops him by real wisdom from committing just genocide, just wiping out the entire family. And listen to what David says to Abigail. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which sent thee this day to meet me. And blessed be thy advice. And blessed be thou, which hast kept me this day from coming to shed blood and from avenging myself with mine own hand. David knew, God, that was you who stopped me because I was going to do something wrong. I was going to take vengeance. Friend, this is all of our natural tendency. And what I want to say, even for those of us who are in close relationships, do you know that it's the same there? Our vengeance might look differently, but how often would we have to acknowledge that there are times when someone hurts us, someone dear to us, and we want them to feel a little bit of hurt too. We want them to realize the hurt that they have inflicted on us by inflicting a kind of hurt on them. Friends, this is one of the reasons that marriages fall apart, that families um, uh, end up at odds with each other. Why is that? Because the same vacuum-sealed container that keeps your liquids boiling hot keeps your water quite cold. The same kind of soil, very, very fertile soil that grows beautiful plants, grows from some very noxious weeds too. 
And in these close relationships that God has given us, there is such passion, there is such emotion, there, is such, there are such strong bonds that are founded that what God desired to be a fruitful garden can very easily grow up into be an incredibly noxious field of weeds. And the same kinds of bonds that God give can ultimately turn and be severed in very great cruelty and vengeance toward each other. You need only go to the divorce courts today and hear the stories to know this play out in real life. So I need us to see, we should see here biblically that this is our tendency, but then therefore my need in all of this is to inculcate Joseph's heart. What did Joseph say when he had the power to take vengeance? Full power to take vengeance. He said, am I in the place of God? That is to say, I will not take God's place of vengeance. It is to inculcate a holy fear of God and his authority. Do you know this was a part of Joseph's life before this? This was something that he had demonstrated already. Recall that when Potiphar's wife came to him and said, come on, come be with me. Come lie with me. Come commit adultery with me. What was Joseph's response? Joseph was concerned about his relationship with his master. He said, my master has put all these things under my hand. But then he said, how shall I do this thing and sin against God? He knew that the ultimate sin of committing adultery with another man's wife would not be against that other man. It would be against God. He had that kind of fear of God and respect of God. Remember when Pharaoh called him out of the prison and said, I've heard it told that you can interpret dreams. What was Joseph's response? It is not in me. God shall. How many remember of you that sermon from my dad, those seven words? It is not in me. God shall. That was his response. His recognition of the authority of God. What I want to say is, if you and I are going to live lives of forgiveness toward one another, of soft-heartedness toward the wrongs that others do, it's going to start there. The, the absolute, undeniable conviction that God is in the payback business, not you. Now, one of the ways that this is absolutely hardest for us is when we feel deeply hurt. Because I suspect that many of you are in marriages or have relationships that are warm and that are friendly and you wouldn't think of really taking serious revenge. And yet when hurt comes in, when someone does something that just hurts you, that, that, that feels like they've really just stabbed you, even if they weren't intending, even if they weren't acting in bad faith, you just have a, a, a reservoir of hurts. You say, but I, I, I don't know that I can do that. I don't know that I can truly, truly let go. But the, being convinced of the authority of God in the payback business is something that is really, truly significant and will help you in that way. Corey Tenboom tells a story written in the early 1970s. She had been at a German concentration camp, a Nazi concentration camp in World War II. And the prison guards that were there had just been absolutely brutal to them and one in particular well not just one but many one of the most humiliating aspects of being at the camp for her and her sister was being forced to strip down and walk naked in front of male prison guards to the showers 
And she recalled not only that, but her sister died at this one particular prison camp. And so a couple years after World War II, Corey Ten Boom is speaking on the subject of forgiveness to an audience. And she recalls the fact that a man came up to her and as he was walking toward her, she recognized him. He had been one of the prison guards that watched her as she undressed and went to the shower. He would do that with her sister in front of him. And he came up to her and stuck his hand out and said, what a wonderful message on forgiveness. I'm paraphrasing, what a wonderful message on my forgiveness, on forgiveness. What a wonderful thing to know that God casts our sins as far away from us as the East is from the West. And she stopped cold in her tracks. She said, did he remember me? He did not remember her. But he said again, he said, I was a prison guard in Nazi Germany and I did horrible things, but I have been saved. Jesus has forgiven me of my sins. And he reached out his hand to her and said, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? And she said, what couldn't have been more than seconds felt like hours to her as she wrestled with God about could she truly forgive someone who had involved in such wickedness toward her. Here's what she says. She said, it was the most difficult thing I had ever had to do, for I had to do it. I knew that. You said, what made her say she had to do it? Because she remembered Jesus' words that said, if you don't forgive men their trespasses against you, your father will not forgive you your trespasses against him. And she said, I knew I had to. She said in that moment, she just cried out to God inwardly and said, oh God, give me the strength. I cannot. And she, she said just woodenly and mechanically, she, she held out her hand. He shook her hand and she said this, for a long moment, we grasped each other's hand. She described it as a current running up to her, her arm to the entire part of her body until her whole body was warmed. And she said, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. That's an incredible story and one that we may not ever be called upon to replicate in its extent, but friends, every single day, we are called on to live out that level of love and forgiveness in the way we relate to one another. So what do I do? What do I do when I'm feeling hurt? when I'm feeling that inward resentment, when I'm feeling those wounds that are so deep inside of me, how do I respond? Notice secondly, not just to be convinced of the place of God, but to be confident in the providence of God. Do you see here, not only does Joseph say in verse 19, fear not for am I in the place of God? He says, but as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. You meant it, you thought it for evil, but God meant it for good. Notice the first thing of this. Joseph did not sugarcoat the evil that his brothers had done. Joseph did not say, don't worry about it in a sense. It wasn't that big a deal. And neither does God when he forgives us our iniquity. Our sin was such a big deal that his son went to the cross over it. God will never sugarcoat the sin that you and I do that he is willing to forgive. And neither did Joseph. He says to them immediately, directly, you meant it for evil. You had evil intentions. You meant wrong. Now, 
in Genesis 45, jo Joseph says something similar. He said, when he introduced himself to them, he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. You sold into Egypt. This was wrongdoing. Now, I say that because it is not necessarily unforgiving for someone to experience sometimes just consequences of what they did. It is not necessarily unforgiving, for example, for someone who has a forgiving spirit nonetheless to see that the law is enforced or consequences are meted out. We have an example of this in our New Testament. Remember the thief on the cross? Do you remember Jesus saying to him, today you will be with me in paradise, giving him assurance of the forgiveness of his sins? And yet the man died that day. The man suffered the consequences. He had received God's forgiveness. And yet there was something just about his death that he himself recognized when he said, we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. It is not incompatible with forgiveness to still allow justice to be done, for example, meted out by our criminal justice system. There is something significant that needs to happen in recognizing evil that was done. But I want us to notice that while Joseph didn't sugarcoat what his brothers had did, done, he was focused on something else. You thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. Now, we need to see, in, in the way that we Christians talk about this, we usually talk about it differently. We say, you meant it for evil, but God used it. For good. That's not what Joseph said. Joseph said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Actually, he uses the exact same word in the Hebrew. You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. It's no different in the words. You intended evil, God intended good. Now you see, why is that so significant? Because God was there when Joseph was being sold into slavery. And Joseph said, God, at that time, no matter how evil they intended it, you intended it for good. Turn back to Genesis 45 to see how Joseph described this to his brothers. Notice in Genesis 45, and look at verse number four. And Joseph said unto his brethren, come near to me, I pray you. And they came near and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither for God did. What's the next word? Send me. Joseph says, you sold me. God sent me. You meant it for evil. God meant it too, for good. Now, if we will come and embrace that sovereignty of God in his providence for us, when we are willing to look at what evil that others did to us and say, sure, you meant it for evil. Sure, it was dead wrong what you did, but God was there. And he didn't just use it for good. He meant it for good all along when you and I are able to say that you will be liberated you will be freed to live a life of forgiveness that God wants you to give when we can say God meant it 
for good. That allowed Joseph, instead of this simmering resentment, to be utterly softened to God's work in his brother's life. That's why I'm convinced, at least in part, when Joseph's brothers came and said, forgive us, or they sent a messenger, your dad said, we should ask you to forgive us, please, please, Joseph wept. Because he had no resentment. He had no more wounds. He had no more simmering resentment that he was constantly trying to tap down. It was gone. Why? Because he chose to look at everything that God had done for good and said, why would I focus on the evil that you meant when God was supervening over it in his providence the whole time? You say, how did Joseph win that victory? He won it in the 22 years between when he was 17 being sold into slavery and, between he, when, and, be, and being 39 talking to his brothers for the first time. You say, how did he win it in those 22 years? How can I win it? I want that. I want victory over my feelings of resentment, over my wounds. No, I'm not bitter. I don't think so. I don't want revenge against my spouse. I don't want revenge against my family members. I want that, but I I feel too deeply. How do we win the victory over our feelings? Let me suggest a few things. The first thing is this. Search for the hand of God in your suffering. Search for it. Look for it. Spouse, has your spouse hurt you? Has your wife or your husband hurt you in your marriage? Then write down every single one of the ways in which God used that hurt to make you more like Christ. Write down every single one of them and meditate on them. Search for God's hand. Do you know what Joseph could do? Joseph could have rattled off an entire list of everything that God had done over those 22 years to make him more like the character of God. And do you know what that liberated him to do? Why would I sit and hold on to a grudge when God has been bringing about good purposes about it from, from it this whole time? Can I tell you, friends, this is why it's so important that we need to be conscious as Christians that Jesus intends to be changing us every day. If your life isn't being changed to be more like Christ, why would you see the hand of God anywhere around you Life is just one big pit of misery. It's just one big wound that you are trying to struggle against every day. No, when God is changing you into the image of his son and you are watching for it, God, thank you for the victory in this. Thank you for the victory in this. Thank you for changing me to be more like your character here. Then you are able to see the hand of God just like Joseph does and did. So first of all, search for the hand of God even in the wounds, even in the suffering, even in the difficulty that someone else brought into your life. Here's the second thing. Give yourself daily reminders of God's goodness in your suffering. Search for the hand of God to change you in your suffering and then remind yourself daily of his goodness. You say, where does this come from? It was wonderful as I was listening to someone speak on on this same idea, they, they, they brought up what Joseph named his children. Do you remember what Joseph named his children? Genesis chapter 41. If you have your Bibles, you can just look back there. Genesis chapter 41. In verse number 51, after he's married the daughter of an Egyptian priest, 
he has a son, and Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God, said he, hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second called he Ephraim. For God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Can you imagine every time Joseph called out the name of those boys, Manasseh and Ephraim, he was calling out the goodness of God to him in the face of suffering? And where you and I are dealing with wounds and hurts that other people have brought into our life, even those dear to us, when we are searching for the hand of God and cataloging what God has brought in our life for good, and when we are also cataloging the goodness of God, even in the face of our sufferings, we are going to be so much more able to say, God, you meant it for good. God, you had good purposes in this. So first, search for the hand of God. Second, remind yourself daily of his goodness, even in your suffering. And third, let go of the rope. Let go of the rope. You say, where does that come from? Corey Ten Boom, again, testified that even after she had forgiven this Nazi prison guard, there was a lesson on forgiveness that she still needed to know. A Christian couple had hurt her in a certain way, and as much as she tried, she just could not release it. She just could not let it go. Until one day she talked to a pastor about it and confessed that she was having this. And this is what he said. He said, up in the church tower is a bell which is rung by pulling on a rope. He said, after the sexton lets go of the rope, the bell keeps on swinging, first ding, then dong. You know that when we go to Camp Shattuck, you ring the bell, and even after you ring it, it keeps on going. But he says, slower and slower until there's a final dong and it stops. I believe the same thing is true of forgiveness. When we forgive, we take our hand off the rope. But if we've been tugging at our grievances for a long time, we mustn't be surprised if the old angry thoughts keep coming for a while. They're just the ding-dongs of the old bell slowing down. And here's what Corey Ten Boom said, and so it proved to be. There were a few more midnight reverberations, a couple of dings when the subject came up in my conversations, but the force, which was my willingness in the matter, had gone out of them. They came less and less often and at the last stopped altogether. We can trust God not only above our emotions, but also above our thoughts. And I would just say to any of you who are still struggling with wounds that some have perpetrated against you, you don't want to take revenge, but you're just dealing with wounds. Let go of the rope. Take victory in your thought life at how often you are going to allow those angry, those angry thoughts to be the pulling of the bell. Let go of the rope. Focus on the goodness of God and allow him to transform even you, even in your suffering, to be grateful and joyful to him. Finally, don't just be convinced of, of the place of God. Don't just be confident in the promise of God. But finally, be cooperating in the plans of God. Be cooperating in the plans of God. What happens when you recognize God's sovereign authority and you are allowing his sovereignty, his purposes, his providence to be ruling your thoughts? You are liberated. You are liberated just like jo uh, Joseph was. Notice with me verse number 21. Now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. What happened? They came to Joseph and, says, we'll say, and said, we'll be your servants. And what did Joseph say? No, I'll serve you. 
I'll take care of you. I will comfort you and your little ones. He was liberated, entirely liberated to meet their needs. Notice how Joseph was changed through this entire decade-long period. He went from a fairly cocky, somewhat um, a proud 17-year-old to be a completely humbled man who was an object of God's plan for his fathers and his brother. The brothers, the very one who had sent him into slavery. Sometimes we read that story of Joseph and how he dealt with his brothers and we say, was Joseph getting back at them? No, he wasn't. He was assessing where they were. Was it any surprise that when Joseph came and was dealing with his brothers when he had a feast with them. What did he do with Benjamin's plate? What did he do with Benjamin's plate? He gave him five times more food than anyone else. Why? Because he wanted to hurt their feelings again? No. Because he wanted to see whether they had changed. Whether they were going to respond in any different way out of envy and jealousy than they did to him. His whole strategy, if you will, was not the chicanery of his father Jacob. Jacob was a supplanter who strategized and schemed to get his own benefit, to get his own rights, to be selfish. Joseph was a man of strategy on God's side to, to facilitate God's purposes. And so it was that we see Jacob was dealt with through this story. Judah was dealt with in this story. If you read the end of Genesis 44 and read how Judah speaks to, to Joseph and pleads with him on behalf of his father, please do not do this to my father. I will stay a slave. You see how much he had been changed by this whole encounter. Why? Because Joseph was liberated not to pursue his own vengeful purposes, but was entirely liberated to humbly act on behalf of God's. You see, friends, this is where we get it completely backwards. We say, if I don't, if I forgive too generously my spouse or my family member or my church friend, my coworker from doing this, then they're just never gonna change. I have to keep vengeance over their head as a tool to change their behavior. And so God says, no, I'm in, you got it backwards. I'm in the changing business, not you. I'm the one who can accomplish that. Why don't you trust me to accomplish my purposes and you be liberated to operate on their behalf? You see, forgiveness does not mean not confronting people who do wrong. Forgiveness does not mean acting on God's behalf to bring about his purposes toward that person's life. Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. We're not talking about some mealy-mouthed kind of mousy behavior. We're saying this. When I operate on God's side, I'm on God's side, not mine. I have released my own bitterness. I have released my own revenge. Must justice be done? Well, then I'm going to do it on God's behalf, not on mine. Why? Because I'm not holding on to that bell rope. I'm not selfishly pursuing my own ends and my own purposes. I have been liberated by trusting the sovereignty of God to leave it in his hands. And when I do that, I'm free. I'm free and I can be joyful and content even in the midst of suffering. There's only one more point that I want to make. 
when you look at how Joseph responded to his brothers, you see a wonderful dead-on ringer for how Jesus calls every single Christian to respond. You can map Joseph's behavior directly on to the Sermon on the Mount, and it's a perfect match. How did Joseph respond when he was ill-treated? God said, if you don't forgive your, your, those, um, th- those who trespass against you their sins, I'm not going to forgive you yours. Joseph understood that he was obligated. He wasn't in the place of God. How did he trust the providence of God? He said, God, you meant it for good, even if they meant it for evil. And what did Jesus say? Don't worry about anything. Don't worry about the, the, the way that your enemies treat you. You follow me instead. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. How did Joseph treat his brothers? He said, I'll nourish you. I'll take care of your little ones. Don't fear. Don't be afraid. There's nothing that's going to harm you. What did Jesus say? But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you that ye may be the children of your father which is in heaven. You see, Joseph is simply an example in our Bibles of what it means to be Christ-like, of what it is to be a Christian, of the way you and I are called to relate to those who injure us and who treat us wrongly every day of our lives. We are called to have first a spirit of forgiveness, and then the moment someone says, will you forgive me, we will already be prepared to give them that forgiveness, just as God forgives us. I'm convinced that if you want to have a healthy marriage, you're gonna have to learn how to apply this, this subject. If you wanna have a healthy family relationships in your parent-children relationships and in your sibling relationships and across all layers, we're gonna have to know how to apply this. If we wanna have healthy church relationships, we're gonna have to know how to forgive in light of the sovereignty of God. Friends, it comes down to this. We are not in the place of God. It is his prerogative to pay back, to take vengeance. It is not ours. Uh, The evil that's been inflicted upon us has been meant sovereignly for our good. And when we understand and come under God's authority in these areas, we are liberated to be God's instruments even to those who have caused us that hurt. May each one of us live out the character of Jesus Christ by applying this tonight in our own relationships. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. And Father, we need faith for this. We need trust. We need to believe you when you say that all things work together for good to them that love you. Oh, I pray, Father, for our relationships that are here reflected in our service tonight. We pray for husbands and wives who would give your forgiveness to one another graciously and without any strings attached. We pray for friendships and other connections, family connections, and otherwise, those who need to know humility, those who need to realize I am not in the place of God. It is not my job to pay back. Oh, I pray, Father, for those who are, who are harboring wounds, 
Oh, I pray, Father, that tonight you would just allow them, enable them to let go of the rope and to focus on all of your goodness that you want to do even in the face of their suffering and their injury. May your people live out the character of your son tonight. Let's pause for a moment. Just allow the spirit of God to speak to us and apply his word to our hearts.